On this week's episode of Isolated, but not alone, we are going to continue discussing spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. As I said in the last podcast, spiritual grooming is a form of manipulation and control that takes place when someone who seemingly has authority over people, but they claim that it's God's authority. They want you to do something, form an action that you would not normally do. You feel pressured and uncomfortable about it and don't wish to do it. But then if you don't, then you are made to feel that you are rebellious or disobedient or causing disunity within the church based on God's standard. And we also talked a little bit about spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse is defined as an attempt to exert power and control over someone using religion, faith, or beliefs. Spiritual abuse can happen within a religious organization or within a personal relationship. And it's not limited to one religion, denomination, or group of people. And I started building the story for you piece by piece about an example where I see spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. And on the last podcast, I shared that there was an instance of two people, a mom and a dad that I know personally, who were awakened in the morning by the wife of a pastor and the pastor who were basically helping their daughter to leave the home. And the daughter had just turned 18. In fact, that was the day of her 18th birthday. And since then, these parents, to my knowledge, have not had any physical face-to-face communication with their daughter. And I've only been getting Facebook messages and texts and, and things like that where they don't even know if it's really their daughter. And so that's kind of where we left off last time. And this podcast is already becoming kind of a big deal. Like it's spiraling into something bigger because spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse is a rampant problem within evangelicalism, within churches that claim to be Christian churches. And it's probably happening elsewhere because it can happen in any type of religious group. However, I, in my connections in the past, have seen it personally within evangelicalism. And that's kind of where our focus is. And so I've done a lot of thinking as this podcast is getting bigger and people are reaching out to me. In fact, the father, the daughter, and myself have had a bit of communication with some clarification for my podcast so that I can kind of understand some things as well as understand the backstory. And what's ironic is, is on the flip side of that, I've had a little bit of feedback from the other group, which has been steeped in the religious, spiritualized abuse that I was talking about. And I've received a little bit of pushback or maybe feedback, but it feels more like pushback than feedback from the opposite group, not from the pastor or his wife or anybody who's directly connected, but by people who have intersectionality with this. And remember, I talked a lot about that on the last podcast, where parts of my life and parts of the lives of the people involved have connected in the past in kind of strange and weird ways, right? And so there's been this pushback that's steeped, unfortunately, in the code, if you want to call it that, 
from the independent fundamental world, which basically has such a narrow view of God and such a small box. And that's kind of that little box is where I've been getting some of this information from. And it's so cliche to me. And it's so steeped in that spiritual abuse, right? Coming from people who I know would never want to or believe that they are doing that. But unfortunately, it's part of the system. And it's a system dynamic of the system they're involved in. So we're going to continue there. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things today. I'm going to kind of walk you through some of my own personal story and connections where I've seen spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse and connect some of those stories from my past to the stories that are occurring currently. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. All right, welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. So, I've had like a six-minute-long introduction. Maybe once I cut it and edit it all down, it won't be six minutes. But I just want to say that this podcast has gotten a lot of feedback. It's got a lot of momentum behind it because it seems like a lot of folks can relate to spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, meaning that they can come up with a story or an illustration either in their own personal life or in the life of somebody that they are in relationship with who have experienced this. And so it's an interesting topic. And I've been told a lot in private, I want to know more about it. I appreciate your podcast. I appreciate that you're speaking out on something that is a problem in churches in the United States that people are not willing to talk about. They're not willing to tackle it because spirituality is so connected with our personhood and so connected with our beliefs and our values that to say something against it almost feels like you're betraying yourself. That's the ickiness. That's the connectedness. That's the gray area of this topic. And usually people have been very passionate when they're talking to me, just like I've been very passionate about the topic. So to kind of pick up where we left off, I had been describing the basic story as I had received it and the bits and pieces in which I had received it. Now, some of the feedback that I've already received is very steeped in that independent fundamental little box of their belief system. And I would say they're God, unfortunately, because when you get hyper-focused on your own beliefs and values and you're not willing to consider the beliefs and values of others, what you're really doing is you're, you're saying, I have this infinite, all-powerful God, but really, he's this tiny little God in a box that I built for him. And you open this tiny little box up, and there's like an infinite amount of power. It's like the genie in the bottle, right? So if you mess with whatever's in that little box, it's going to come out and bite you. 
It's going to come out and destroy you. It's going to come out and chasten you, rebuke you, beat you with a rod into submission. And I have the power to open and close this little box. (laughs) And it sounds almost crazy to say it like that, but that is a lot of times how I've actually experienced people in authority in this very fundamental, disconnected, militant uh, group. And at the same time, there's bias there. And I know I shared a lot of my biases on the past podcast because I want to be open and honest about it. I don't want to be disparaging against people's belief systems. I don't want to put myself in a position of authority where I believe I have the right to be judge, jury, and executioner of people's values and beliefs because I do not have the right to do that. And at the same time, it's my personal belief that some value systems are harmful, not only to the individual, but to society and to the church. And this is one of those things that I believe is harmful, right? Like I said before, I'm not choosing sides. I'm not saying this person's right and this person's wrong. What I'm saying is there's gray area. What I'm saying is, is life is full of paradoxes. Every day is full of paradoxes where something that seems contrary to something else can both be happening and both be our truth at the same time. And that's uncomfortable for people who think in this or that, black or white, or stick their spiritual belief system into a box, a tiny box, where their God can fit in that little box that they have power over. So with that being said, we're going to dive more into it because we're going to talk about literally somebody opened that little box on me, (laughs) you know, in in the most polite way. And so if you're listening to my podcast and you're like, ooh, is that me? Because there's been lots of people who talk to me about this. There's been lots of people. So if you're thinking it's you, it probably wasn't because I've had several people say the exact same thing to me when they've given pushback on the opposite side of this situation. And it's kind of the same pushback that I've been hearing in my life since I was a young person going to Bible college and eventually to seminary. It's the exact same story because their God in that little box has not changed. And they've clung on to those cultural values that they attribute to spiritual values from the past. So let me dissect what I mean by that. Because this, there's so much stuff to talk about this podcast. I mean, I literally sat down this whole entire past week and try to develop an outline of where we could go with this because there's so much. It's all encompassing. There's so much information. And there's so much information just within this particular story that I want to share with you or that I am in the process of sharing with you. So some of the common attacks or I don't know what you would call them, things that would make you doubt yourself, make you doubt your God, make you doubt your beliefs and your values, all while claiming that stuff that's making you doubt is coming from that creator, that God of yours, versus the person who's telling you that, which is based what they believe on culture. The best way I can do to describe this is to describe my time briefly at this Bible college. And if you could see my hands, I'm doing air quotes because Bible college, yeah, they taught the Bible, but did they teach it well? That's up for debate. And there's a lot of people who went to this school that if they heard me say that, they'd be lynching me out in the street if they could get away with it. But they love Jesus. They destroy me, but they love Jesus. 
right? Does that, am I making sense with that? So when it came to this <laughs> Bible college, I'll never forget, you know, I was a, a very new convert of this independent fundamental system. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and I'm talking very new. So new, in fact, I really had no idea what I was doing. And basically, I came from an extreme abuse, extreme sexual abuse, um, extreme emotional and mental abuse, home where there was rampant drug use and alcoholism. And I met a girl in high school. <laughs> that's how that's how it always begins, right? You meet a, you meet somebody in high school, right? And I was not a churchgoer. I didn't. I knew I believed in a higher power, but I didn't quite know or knew how to define what that higher power was or what they looked like, etc. And she introduced me to the church and to this youth minister that worked at the church who gave me an example of something that was so opposite, so different from the rampant drug use and alcoholism and physical abuse and sexual abuse that I had experienced that... I clung to that spiritual leader because they were showing me something that was so different that it was like a, a light shining in the darkness. But what I didn't realize was is that spiritual abuse is just as harmful in some cases than the other forms of abuse. It's just very subtle and it's very, you know, let's just call it it's sneaky. It's deceptive. It's sneaky. It goes in to somebody who has experienced that extreme examples of abuse and eventually neglect, to get a little inkling of somebody who wants to be connected with you, a group of people that don't care what you're like. And I'm doing air quotes here again, because they did. But that was the initial belief is these people are willing to accept me you know, scars and all. You know, they're willing to love on me and to give me this example of something different. And so I remember he basically talked me into going to Bible college, right? So here's this young guy who, you know, maybe he's gone to church for a year off and on now, and he's going to go to Bible college, right? And I'll never forget, I showed up the day, you know, I went and visited one time over the summer, wasn't even planning on going to college, at least not off the bat. So I went and visited, and they had like some cute gal doing the, you know, the college tour. It was like, okay, you know, my best friend went with me. He was a pastor's son. So it was kind of like, okay, this could be kind of cool. You know, I can do this. So I registered. We showed up day one, right? And I go to the registration. And I'll never forget it. It was like something out of a movie. <laughs> so I had a goatee, right? I had facial hair. Okay. And, you know, I always kept the top a little short, but I had, you know, a goatee. Right. And my buddy, you know, he had a goatee slash beard. He had something going on too. And I remember we walked up to the registration line. And the look on the faces of the people on the registration line was if I had, like, I don't know, stepped on their parents' grave or some just some egregious, horrific thing that I had done to them. I had personally affronted their human nature. You know, it was a big deal, right, the looks on their faces. And I was a young, you know, 18, 19-year-old guy, you know. <laughs> I could just tell that something was horribly wrong by the facial expressions. They look like a Vincent Van Gogh painting. Let's just put it that way. And I'll never forget, they were like, you can't register for class here. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, am I in the wrong place? I thought this is the college I applied to. Well, yes, you can't register here because you have facial hair. And we don't allow facial hair on this campus. 
Okay, well, can I go to the dorm and shave? No, we can't even let you be on campus with facial hair because you are causing people to stumble. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you've come out of this very, whether it be this one or another type of fundamental belief system where they get hyper-focused on these little things, you might have you might have heard that exact term as you're causing your brother to stumble. And so I'm looking around and I'm like, well, this, this is kind of odd. And I'm starting to notice, yeah, okay, nobody has facial hair here, but it's facial hair. You know, it's not the devil, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> to quote Will Smith, it's not the devil. But to them it was. And it was such an egregious error on my part that it looked like pure rebellion to them. When really it was just a lack of knowledge. It was a lack of understanding their cultural system that they wanted me to convert to as well as the, their belief system. And so I had to leave campus. I couldn't even come back the rest of the day. Like, I couldn't even come back for registration. I had to go, stay someplace else overnight, get a hotel room, which was shocking to my parents, who were not churchgoers at the time, and stay there until I could shave and then come back and then I could register for classes. And I remember at the time thinking, well, didn't Jesus have a beard? Like, wait a minute, I'm super confused here. Why is this wrong? Why is this biblically wrong? Why is it sinful? Well, it was because to them it was a cultural value that they ascribed to a ultimate God value that God himself said, thou shalt not have facial hair in the Ten Commandments. Have you not read it? Right? And that's what I mean by sticking God in this tiny little box. Talk about humiliation and shame and talk about labels. From that point on, I was labeled. I was a bad kid. I was a sinful and wrong and horrible human being that by the grace of God did they allow me to continue to go there. I'm surprised, to be honest, they didn't send me back and say, sorry, you can't ever come here again. That was the type of stuff that was a regular occurrence at this Bible college. I remember one time I got a fine for wearing white socks with black slacks. Don't get me wrong. I mean, fashionably, you know, when it comes to fashion, that's a huge faux pas, right? <laughs> that's just a myth. But is it a $25 fine type of problem? No, <laughs> you know, it's a simple problem, right? But it was this nature of making little things big things. And not just little things big things, but making those little things big things because God said they were big. And if you aren't doing said and such, it's because you don't love God enough and you're rebellious. And so you're saying, James, why are you telling me all this? I'm telling you it to connect to that ideology of the small box God. And I'm telling you because this Bible college is exactly where the pastor that saw fit to intrude into somebody's home and assist their freshly turned adult, and there can be some argument there, 18-year-old daughter to leave the home without going through any of the proper channels went to the same Bible college. And it's my impression and belief that Unfortunately, this perversion of spirituality was utilized against people to minimize their God and their belief system into a tiny little box and then stop anybody from trying to make their God bigger and teaching people that they are somehow above the rules, at least certain types of people that they control. 
that they utilize towards other people to replicate, to reproduce this militant, independent fundamentalism, which is a complete perversion, in my opinion, of the true nature of the gospel. So, you know, let the arrows come. (laughs) And I said that on the first podcast. I knew that if I challenged, because I still have friends, I still have family, I still have connectedness in this world. And this world, for all they preach about grace and about love and about acceptance, don't actually practically do that unless you fit their design for what that's supposed to look like. And they will come after you with a passion. And they will do great harm to you if they can. But they'll love Jesus in doing it. You know, it's almost like we're living in the medieval ages when I talk about these things. Where it's like, we love Jesus! Burn them with oil. We love Jesus. Hang them. We love Jesus. Cut their guts out. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And it's not a new problem. It's not something that was created in our society, in our culture. This is a systemic problem from the very beginning. We see it again and again and again and again when religious entities get focused on law and behavior and the right way, air quotes, white way, to be connected in relationship with the ultimate God, we see these abuses, the social injustice. We saw it during the time of Jesus. I always think when you read about the life of Jesus, it's always very interesting because Jesus was loving and accepting and tolerant, which oh, gets people really fired up in that world. Tolerant, right? and we'll discuss later what, maybe what that means, but Jesus was for the disenfranchised. For the slave, right? For women, for people who did not fit in with the culture of the time. He reached out to them. He went where they were. He met with them. He preached a message of love and grace, something that was different than the stark legalism of the time. I can already hear the the pastors and the, the people in that world listening to my podcast and dissecting every bit of my theology, you know, deconstructing it, while at the same time saying the world is evil by deconstructing things, but deconstructing everything I said and pointing out every flaw in my theology and how God is not that way and Jesus didn't do that and Jesus wasn't tolerable and, you know. But in the end, regardless of my theology, Jesus was concerned and cared about social justice. He did. You can deny it. You can argue it. You can say that's not true, whatever. He was concerned about people that were affected by the injustices of society, specifically the religious leaders at the time. He was harsh with them. Oftentimes when you watch him getting harsh or passionate, it was often towards the religious leaders of the time that perverted religion into a tool to manipulate and control other people. And so that's that's all the time we have for right now. So you can tell by the way that I'm talking about these things. There's passion here. And because of this pushback, maybe I am rebellious because it just makes me want to be more vocal and more, it dredges up that passion, right? And as well as trauma, as well as traumatic experiences. I shared just one big one from that Bible college, but I can tell you there were many, 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 many more 
harmful things that occurred for me that twisted my thinking, that perverted the way that I viewed Jesus and the gospel and God to something that hurt other people, that got placed in a box that was really tiny that I could open when it suited me to harm other people and protect myself from harm. And there's complexity there. So we're going to end there. We are going to jump more into the story because, like I said, I've been able to have some communications with the dad and got some of the background story that involves what I would consider spiritual grooming, spiritual abuse that's outside of whatever this pastor did or did not do. And I want to be clear about that because I don't know why this pastor did or did not do whatever he did and didn't do. Right? I can't say that right? because the only things I've been getting from that side are pushback. And like I said early on is the pushback is always kind of the same. Do you have both sides of the story? Do you have all the truth? How could you make an accusation if you don't have both sides and have the truth? You have to seek out the truth. But in that, I don't have to seek out anything because I'm not taking a side. I'm not throwing heaps of stone on anybody. If I would, it'd be, I'd be the first person to throw up on myself, right? And I can say that because of the event, I have questions. I can say that, okay, if this happened, why did this happen? Who's going to answer my question? And answering a question means giving a response to discuss why you chose to do what you did and not attack my character. (laughs) To talk about how ungodly or rebellious or bring up past traumatic incidences in my life to show how somehow I don't make the standard, right? Or to tell me exactly what the Bible says about said and such, right? That's not a defense. That's an attack using the Bible. That's spiritual abuse. If you like this, share it. It's a good topic. People are interested in it. People have experienced it or know somebody who've experienced it and they want to know more. Again, thanks for listening. Remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family, and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated, and maybe you are, but you're not alone.